Good evening. Welcome to Left, Right and Center. I'm Vishnu Shom. On the program tonight, a U.S. intelligence report warns of the possibility of armed confrontation between India and China on a day when the visiting Australian Prime Minister says India is a top-tier strategic ally. The common concern is, of course, China. The Australian Prime Minister was on the indigenous aircraft carrier Vikrant. We'll bring you a detailed explainer and debate. And at half past the hour, the Kochi toxic fire may more or less be out. But what are the consequences of this massive fire at a garbage dump that's taken a week to more or less put out? Were the fumes carcinogenic? If so, at what levels? Does anyone know or does anyone care? But first, the visit of the Australian Prime Minister. He was in India with Prime Minister Modi watching the test match at Ahmedabad. But later, he visited India's aircraft carrier. Why is this significant and why will China be looking closely at this visit? This may look like a photo opportunity, but there's a lot more in this visit to INS Vikrant by the visiting Australian Prime Minister. The clearest ever sign of the strategic alignment between New Delhi and Canberra. The common concern is China, and Mr. Albanese made it clear that India lies at the heart of Australia's approach to the Indo-Pacific and beyond. What's more, India is a top-tier security partner, and the Indian Ocean is central to both the country's security and prosperity. And there has never been a point in both of our country's histories where we've had such a strong strategic alignment and we share an unwavering commitment to upholding the rules-based international order and ensuring that Indo-Pacific is open, inclusive and prosperous. The visit of Anthony Albanese, the Australian Prime Minister, comes at a time when the US intelligence community in a report to the US Congress has spelt out that the situation between India and China, two armed nuclear neighbours, could be a potential flashpoint, the report says. The expanded military postures by both India and China along the disputed border elevate the risk of armed confrontation between two nuclear powers that might involve direct threats to U.S. persons and interests and calls for U.S. intervention. While the nature of U.S. intervention is not spelt out and it's unclear if New Delhi would accept any Australia shares concerns on China's growing military presence in the South China Sea and the Indo-Pacific area. This is an area of common concern for both nations. In fact, for the first time ever, Australia will host the high-profile Malabar naval exercises with India, the US and Japan as partner nations off the coast of Perth in August this year. Australia is also now in the process of stepping up its own naval defences by acquiring up to five nuclear-powered attack submarines from the US. It's the first time ever that the U.S. is exporting nuclear-powered submarines. Australia will retain 100% control over the use of these subs, a key guarantee that Canberra pushed for. The Virginia-class submarines being acquired are at the cutting edge of America's submarine arsenal. Mr. Albanese's visit to India comes a week before the arrival of the Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida to India, another key strategic partner of New Delhi, and also a key partner in the Quad process. What is the Quad? It is the grouping composed of India, Japan, Australia and the United States, whose foreign ministers met here just last week at the end of the meeting of foreign ministers of G20 nations. So what exactly are the US, Japan, Australia and India concerned about? Here are some details. In 2025, two years later, China, which already has the world's largest navy, will operate 440 warships. In 2030, five years after that, the U.S. Navy, the world's preeminent navy since the end of the Second World War, will operate 
291 warships. That's a whopping 149 warships less than China. A recent U.S. report to Congress has expressed concerns, in fact, alarm regarding the pace of China's shipbuilding effort. For India, this Chinese naval base in Djibouti in the Horn of Africa is a huge concern. We've got images over there. It is China's first overseas naval base, and as these satellite images show, China has already begun deploying their warships in this area. Well, joining us now to look at the nature of the threat that China poses, the important relationship that India and Australia uh, now actually uh, enjoy. We're joined by Alexei Mureviev. He's an associate professor of national security and strategic studies at Curtin University in Perth. Uh, Professor Buravia, thanks very much for being with us. We're also joined by Andrew Lung. He's a China strategist. Brahma Chelani is with us over here in New Delhi and also India's former ambassador, Manju Seth. I'd like to thank you all uh, very much for being with us. Uh, Mr. Muraviev, let me come to you first. Just in terms of the threat that China faces at this juncture with regard to India, is it your belief that China and India face a potential confrontation? Well, I would probably describe it as as, as rivalry. I mean, uh, using the word confrontation uh, uh, presuppose a degree of imminence of, of an armed collision. Clearly, India and, and, and China share a troubled history um, um, uh, going back to the times of the 1962 uh, border war. Um, uh, then, obviously, more recently, we've, we've seen border clashes in, back in 2020, uh, uh, along, along the disputed area in, 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 in Kashmir, um, uh, that, that, in itself, that in itself represents uh, a problem. SINA-PAC relations, obviously, is something that I believe is of uh, strategic concern to New Delhi, especially after Pakistan developed and acquired nuclear weapons capability. And as, as a report that you referred to suggest, India, uh, sorry, uh, China is, is obviously projecting uh, a blue water naval, naval capability with a clear intent of establishing permanent naval presence in the Indian Ocean, which obviously would be of great concern uh, to New Delhi. Having said all of that, I also want to highlight that at this point in time, we should treat China expansionism with, with a degree of caution, not to say that we should undermine uh, the significance of Chinese successes in capability development and technology development, but say, contrary to India and some other countries, mm -hmm. China severely lacks operational combat experience. If we're talking about possible combat deployment of the Chinese military, I think the Indian military has much greater operational experience in fighting various level contingencies, regional wars, et cetera, et cetera. China doesn't lack it. Uh, China doesn't have it back. The last time China saw serious military action was back in 1979 against Vietnam, and the Chinese have lost. So I think whilst it's important to keep a close eye on what the Chinese are doing and trying to understand and read their intent, we also need to not oversell the threat of, uh, of, of China and its capacity to, to, deploy, uh, to deploy capability, because as the war in Ukraine shows, you know, you can have wonderful large-scale military exercises, you can have lavish military parades, but your military can only be proven combat-worthy when it comes to actual um, uh, sure. battle battle. Sure. And, you know, I just wanted to bring in uh, uh, Dr. Brahma Tilani uh, as well. 
Dr. Chilani, is that a view that you share or do you believe that China's aggressive military moves, certainly in the Indian Ocean region, let's talk about that, uh, is a clear indicator that they're already here and they are here to stay? What are the implications of that? China has pursued its expansionism not through overt conflict, but by stealth. Three elements define China's expansionism, stealth, deception, and surprise. Even the land grabs in India's Ladakh happen by stealth. It avoids direct combat. So the, the big challenge for India, for Japan and for Australia and for other countries that are facing Chinese expansionism is how to thwart China's aggression below the threshold of armed conflict, the way China pursues its aggression. It pursues it below the threshold of armed conflict. That's a big challenge because the militaries in India, the U.S. and elsewhere are geared to fight in a combat condition. They're not, they're not trained to engage in aggression in peacetime by, by pursuing deception, stealth, and surprise. So it requires retraining the militaries to deal with Chinese expansionism. But I think the main point that the, that the U.S. threat assessment makes is not in relation to India and China. In fact, it's only a small paragraph on India and China where this threat assessment confuses the cause and effect. Yep. It actually says that relations will remain strained between these two countries in the wake of the lethal clash in 2020. Yep. The lethal clash in 2020 happened as a consequence of China's land grabs in India's Ladakh. I think the main point that um, this report makes in relation to China is that China is, is seeking to become the preeminent power globally by supplanting the United States and it's pursuing the goal of weakening U.S. power and influence, including by building a growing partnership with Russia. Yep. The China-Russia axis against the U.S. is the big change on the global geopolitical landscape, which has major implications for America's present global preeminence. All right. Uh, Ambassador Sait, let me come to you next. You know, this uh, statement by the U.S. intelligence community in this report, which is uh, going to the U.S. Congress, says... Um, the expanded military postures by both India and China along the disputed border elevate the risk of armed confrontation between two nuclear powers that might involve direct threats to U.S. persons and interests and calls for U.S. intervention. Uh, is that at all acceptable to New Delhi? Uh, I don't think so. It will not be acceptable at all uh, because uh, this would be a kind of interference unless uh, Delhi asks for their help, which is unlikely. Uh, it's not a very uh, positive statement that they are saying that, uh, you know, U.S. may need to intervene. And I don't think in U.S. is going to intervene unless they are directly threatened. Uh, it is very unlikely, in my view, that uh, the U.S. will send boots on the ground uh, in, a, in a conflict between uh, India and China. I would suggest, Ambassador, that U.S. Uh, intervention might be along the lines of what is already there, deep intelligence sharing, uh, yes. assessments of... Um, of China's military strength across uh, the line of actual control, information sharing. And obviously, uh, India is equipped with American weaponry. So perhaps to keep those supply lines open, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, would you suggest yes, that yes. that word intervention may not actually mean American boots on the ground, but it might actually yes. mean 
more of that, uh, you know. Yes, absolutely. More support, intelligence sharing. Already we have uh, that happening. It'll get more, uh, you know, the relationship will become even closer as far as that goes. And to counter uh, China's aggressive stance across the uh, line of control, yes, that cooperation, collaboration will increase, definitely. Definitely. Um, Andrew Lung, uh, you know, the, the concern for many people in many countries, India, Australia, certainly Japan, and the United States as well, is why is China seeking to be so expansionist? China is a, uh, is a, a booming economy. There's so much going for China. Why does it necessarily need to cost, need to come at the cost of other nations who want their own space? You're putting the United States at the end of your list. In fact, it is all about the United States as far as China is concerned. China doesn't want to make Indian its enemy. If you look at what China is doing, um, and then look at the, the current four, two sessions and China's national imperative. It's about China's growth. Um, it's about China's advancement um, and to realize the China dream. And China must be allowed to grow. But then, unfortunately, China's uh, growth is seen by the United States as threatening Americans' hegemony. And uh, both economically and also militarily, and not what China has been doing in the South China Sea and then uh, developing its navy is to safeguard its own national interest. It's by no means India. So I think that for the India and even Australia, uh, thinking that China's aggression is against them, is getting the wrong end of the stick. Um, well, no doubt that China is now um, developing the Navy rather rapidly. And, of course, with the island building South China Sea, uh, militarizing, uh, militarizing some of these islands is, is in response to the first island chain and the second island chain surrounding China for a long, long time. Okay. The first island chain based in Okinawa, the second island chain based in Guam with a lot of American assets. If you were in China, you'd be worried with all these naval forces and military assets uh, around your doorstep. And that's what China's been doing. It's not trying to make an enemy of India or, or, or Australia. And, and what is India and Australia? It's no threat to China. China's economy is much, much bigger than India and Australia. And, and China's strength is not in the military. So do the American kind of rhetoric, always focusing on the military. China's strength is not in the military. It's in international connectivity. The All whole right. world, okay. um, economically, sure. and, and trade, I'll come back also... To you. Mr. Lung, I'll come back to you in a moment. I will come back to you in a moment. Um, uh, Alexei Muraviev, would you... Uh, why then does Australia need to now acquire nuclear attack submarines? What is the threat that Australia perceives from a growing Chinese maritime presence? Look, I mean, we cannot is, ignore is it... Chinese continuous expansion of its, of its capabilities. We cannot ignore the fact that China... Is, is expanding its influence and, in fact, asserts its presence on our doorstep. For us, just like for India, I take uh, the maritime domain, the sea, the world ocean is a lifeline. Our sovereignty, our national survival, the prosperity of our economy is dependent on interrupted sea lines of communication, on, on, on a secured uh, global supply chain um, uh, based on, on critical maritime links. And, and obviously, being a massive country with a relatively small population and a relatively small defense forces, we obviously have to think strategically in terms of 
investing in surgical capabilities that would give us the edge. We cannot win by numbers, but we can win by technology. Hence provides the answer of why submarines have been so critical to, to the qualitative enhancement of, of, our, uh, of our capability. And again, we're talking at this point in time, five nuclear-powered submarines versus how many China has. Uh, so I, I, I think all we do is is contribute surgical lift and, and offer our capacity to our allies and, and partners and, and also ensure that um, uh, our connection with the rest of the world, with East Asia, with Indian Ocean, remain uninterrupted. Uh, Ambassador said um, maybe about 10 to 15 years back, there was uh, a sense of weariness even in Australia about uh, India's growth as a maritime power, the evolution of the growth of the Indian Navy. That's now changed uh, to a situation where, you know, you've got the Malabar exercises, which are essentially Indian exercises with an American partner initially, then the Japanese came on, and of course the Australians as well. Those Malabar exercises are now going to be held off the coast of Australia, off the coast of Perth for the first time in August. Uh, what is the significance of that? Uh these, uh, you know, uh, it is, uh, it, uh, these are held for uh, collaboration, of course, but interoperability and strategizing and how, and, you know, these uh, the war games are uh, sort of, as you know, they uh, are about uh, strate any strate how to counter any strategic threat. And they, it is a, like, a, it's like practicing and being in an actual war. And uh, as uh, previous speakers have also said, the China threat is very real. Uh, it is definitely a threat to Australia, and it is also a threat uh, to other countries in that entire region. And that is why one of the main reasons the Quad has been formed on the basis of uh, economic cooperation and defence security, but it will eventually may have to even go into further you know, further defence collaboration. And AUKUS, of course, has been formed for the very specific purpose as a defence, uh, you know, sort of uh, um, uh, multilateral or multilateral organisation to counter the threat in the Indo-Pacific uh, and to maintain uh, the sea lines of communication in, in the South China Sea and in the Indo-Pacific and to maintain uh, peace there and to prevent and to, you know, China, we have been seeing how it has uh, taken up so many small islands, has made an artificial island there, uh, Spratlys, it is claimed, has claimed many other islands in the area and it is definitely uh, a threat to all the current countries in the region and these Malabar exercises uh, will further strengthen the co collaboration between all the navies, uh, the four navies, uh, US, um, uh, Australia, and uh, Japan, and India, sure. and will be able to send a clear message, uh, I think, to China that, uh, you know, we are not individually alone, we are working together. Uh, Mr. Lung, um, is China's red line ultimately Taiwan? Uh, that uh, there is space for negotiation uh, as far as Beijing is concerned, with Australia, India, J uh, Japan, uh, the United States as well in the Indo-Pacific area, the Indian Ocean area, which is what concerns New Delhi, but the red line is Taiwan. Is that is that the bottom line as far as Beijing's policy is concerned? Definitely, uh, Taiwan is the the reddest of the of the red uh, kind of red lines as far as China is concerned. Uh, but of course, as I said, the South China Sea. Um, kind of maneuvers of China is not only about Taiwan, it's also in response to the perception of being 
and, uh, of the American encirclement, you know, first uh, island chain and you know, the second island chain. Um, as you mentioned, the sea line of communication is important to the rest of the world, but it's even more important to China because it's the China's lifeblood, depending on international trade, energy, and so so forth. So it's in China's national interest or imperative to keep the sea line of com- communications open. But having said that, though, ta- Taiwan, of course, is the... Um, is, is the absolute uh, red line. But then, of course, the China has published three white papers on Taiwan recently, the last uh, immediately after Nancy Pelosi's provocative visit, all stressing the importance or the preference for peaceful unification. Now, don't forget when people say, oh, well, that's easier said than done. Don't forget where I'm sitting, Hong Kong, return to the motherland peacefully, even though Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, in the, in the beginning... It refused to accept that. But in the end, Hong Kong was returned to the motherland peacefully. So don't rule out the possibility and the preference for China for peaceful unification with Taiwan. Uh, Professor Chalani, um, I think one of the uh, aspects of of the China equation which affects New Delhi very, very uh, clearly is China's weapon sales. China has been equipping Pakistan for for a very long period of time, but they're also equipping... Uh, Bangladesh, for example, with submarines. They've established a naval base in Abu Dhabi. Uh, They are deploying warships in the Indian Ocean region, saying that they are being deployed to fight pirates, which I think is, uh, you know, we can all see through. So therefore, um, some of the, you know, some of the arguments which have been made somewhat disingenuous. Uh, Does this not seem like out-and-out Chinese expansionism? China's main arms clients are India's immediate neighbors, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and Myanmar. And the India-China border crisis, which has resulted from China's border aggression and stealthy land grabs, and the most recent attempt was to grab territory in Tawang on the other side of the India-China frontier. That aggression is still ongoing has turned the entire border between India and China into a hot frontier. That might be part of a Chinese strategy to keep India locked down, to, you know, to Boxton along the land frontier, so as to open more room, more leeway for, for, for China to, to uh, encroach on India's maritime domain. If that is a strategy, India has to counter it, because if if... China were to encroach on India's maritime domain, then India's encirclement by China would be complete. Yeah. India has to stop this neglect of its naval capabilities. The Navy remains, and the Navy still gets stepmotherly treatment from the decision makers in New Delhi. This has to change because the maritime domain has become critical to Asian and global security, even in relation to Taiwan. That's in the maritime domain. The future crises that will determine global security are going to occur at sea. And therefore, the maritime domain is increasingly important. That's the reason why it's very it's, it's significant that the Australian prime minister is visiting India, and he'll be followed very soon by the Japanese prime minister. India, Japan, Australia collaboration on the maritime front has become imperative in order to ensure a stable balance of power in the Indo-Pacific region. All right, I'd like to thank you all very much for joining us. Lots of security concerns affecting all of these nations, um, you know, somewhat differently, but there are common strands as well, and I think that strand is concern over China. I'd like to thank you all very much for being with us.